Hey, what's happening, you guys? You're joining the Proclivity Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Joel. I am here with the much more talented, much smarter than I co-host, Emily Rodella. And we're diving into something real special today. Emily, are you excited about our guest today and what he's going to be talking about? I'm extremely excited. This is something that <clears throat> I have room, lots of room to grow on as far as my knowledge base. So super pumped. Super, super pumped. So without further ado, what we're going to do is we're going to bring on our guest. Now, our guest today is Jack Cernet. He's a personal trainer, mental health coach, and motivational speaker. He's based out of Kansas City. And what he teaches is his clients and audiences how to achieve post-traumatic growth. You guys may have heard of post-traumatic stress. We're talking about post-traumatic growth and how to be able to thrive in the face of adversity. We're going to be diving into this. Y'all know how important the mind and the language is here at Proclivity when it comes to creating healthier bodies and happier lives. So without further ado, we are super pumped to be able to have Jack on this episode, episode 61. Jack, what's up, man? Thank you. Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you guys for having me. Super excited to be able to have you here. I'm pretty sure I said your last name wrong. Can we get it right? <laughs> yeah, it's Sirnet. Sir plus net. Sirnet. Jack Sirnet. Yes. From Kansas yeah. City. That's, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. I'm from Kansas City. So, Jack, let's dive into this. I'm, I'm really excited. I know we have somebody watching live right now from the Proclivity Method. Again, guys, if you want to be part of that group on our Facebook page, go to the Proclivity Method and you can watch this live. So specifically, shout out to, to Aslan. Aslan, I know you're watching. Great to have you here. Jack, what I want to know straight out the gate so that the people can get a real tangible feel for you is what is the hell that you solve for your clients? So you alluded to it already, but I'll, I'll uh, simplify it even more. So I help people master how they respond to what happens to them. And so use the word trauma. Obviously, we, you hit it right in the nose right there. So post-traumatic growth, they master how they respond to something that happens to them so they can actually grow through their trauma as opposed to just go through it. Because obviously, anyone can just go through anything. It doesn't take a ton of skill to have something bad happen to you. To be able to grow from it, though, and become a better version of yourself because of what happened, um, that's that's the, the key right there. That's, that's the liquid gold. And from personal experience and just experience working with clients, that's, that's it right there. Becoming a master of responding to what happens to you, which I'm sure you guys can agree on some level. At the end of the day, that's, that's, that's life, right? It isn't what happens to you. It's how you respond. You're, you're speaking our language, Jack. That's why we're so excited to, to have you. We talk a lot to our clients. We are internal to external. We are our light. We produce the light into the darkness, right? And so often we get caught up in external to internal. 
Yet when we remind ourselves that, no, no, we're the light. We produce it, right? We don't take in the darkness. The darkness needs the light. And being able to, to recognize those things, go within, to out, that's how we are able to create these really uh, solid habits and foundations for ourselves without getting caught up with what's going around in our external world. So super excited to be able to dive into this trauma and what about trauma talk. And one of the things that we love having coaches on the show, right? Because when you're a coach, you're coaching because you've gone through it, right? We, we help coach busy business professionals because Emily and I are those professionals. We went through it and we had hard times and we faced things that were like, dang, we don't have enough time in the day. And we're, man, we're just, we're running short on time. And all of a sudden we're starting to have this physical manifestation because our minds are going crazy. And so we got into the world of, hey, we're going to do nutrition coaching for professionals. So my question to you, Jack, what was the experience for you that got you into becoming a coach that helps others master their traumas and help them to grow from it. Yeah, uh, how long do you have? <laughs> that's that's the, <laughs> the first question. <laughs> um, there, there is one in particular event that I personally experienced that changed everything for me. It was interesting though, because it was after 24, 25 years of handling adversity in a terrible way. Part of it is you don't know what you don't know, right? And so just like with nutrition or fitness, if you don't know how to eat properly or move properly, you just, you're not going to know. Um, and so decades of responding to adversity, trauma in a certain way kept me repeating the same outcomes, was miserable, uh, hated myself, hated life, depressed, stressed. And then finally, in the very beginning of 2019, so just about exactly three years ago, so January 2019, um, I personally flirted with death for the first time. I developed septic shock after having my 50th plus kidney infection. I was in the ICU, the nurse's eyes were like silver dollars, the doctors were scared. Um, for those of you who don't know, sepsis is an infection where when it gets to your bloodstream, it can obviously kill you. Um, it's not a ideal situation to be in. And that was a wake up call that not a lot of people get and I felt super grateful in the moment because, you know, I, I it was weird because I, I handled things okay up until that point with a chronic illness. And then finally, when I just sat there in the ICU, I was like, all right, if this is my last 30 minutes breathing alive in this mud rock floating through space, I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. And from that point on, my perspective, just from personal experience changed. And what I realized was I didn't, I wasn't born with the ability to respond to things like this. I learned how to respond better to trauma, adversity, but it was that one wake up call, the near death experience in the ICU where in a weird way, unexpectedly, I actually like enjoyed the process of overcoming it and surviving that moment. And then from then on, it was just aces getting better and better, sharpening the ax, simplifying the process because the kiss method, keep it simple, stupid. It's a real thing. I'm sure with, with, with many avenues in life. Yeah, there you go. So it was that moment. It was three years ago, almost exactly where I've, it finally just all started to click. You know, I had little spurts here and there, 
personally in my own life where I showed signs of resilience, um, it just was short lived. And finally, boom, that was it. And once I realized I'm nothing special, I can respond better to trauma and achieve post-traumatic growth. I figured, you know, what the heck was it on some people, some close friends and family, and then boom, it just started clicking for other people as well. So it's not some super high level, hard to grasp skill. It just takes consistency and an actual protocol. Emily, it, is mm-hmm. Jack speaking to us right now? <laughs> yes. Oh, simplicity. We tell everyone simple and easy are not the same thing. People tend to shy away from the simple things, right? <laughs> so we're here to remind them and repeat it with them. Yeah, one of my favorite things that I like to say, and I've heard, and I, I stole this from someone, I don't remember who, but common sense is an always common habit, right? Otherwise, everyone would do the simple things and be happy and healthy and and all the above. So um, that was what was surprising to me, was how you respond to adversity, trauma, um, something bad happening, whatever you want to call it. It is, it rings true, keeping it simple, focus on a few simple things, boom, boom, boom. And, and what I didn't do prior to that was that I overcomplicated it. I mm-hmm. took advice from a hundred different people and got a hundred different coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And some of them worked, but I was just so overwhelmed when shit hit the fan. I didn't know. I didn't have a go-to. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I'm right and everyone else is wrong. I just know that if I ask 10 people close to me, how should I deal with this? I usually got 10 different answers. And that was just super overwhelming. And so I just stuck to one thing at a time, rode that out and boom, boom, boom. So I also got very lucky because I had a lot of practice and experience of dealing with unique traumas. So I got plenty of reps to, to put in, whereas, you know, not everyone has that. And that's, that's totally fine. You know, it doesn't mean you need to go out and seek trauma. Right, right. Well, and, and a thing that we like to say is life is our greatest teacher. Go live it. Go live yeah. it, right? And and sometimes it's going to be really tough and really difficult. And sometimes it's going to be really great. Yet it's our greatest teacher. We don't need a bazillion different gurus. What we need is experiences to go live. And so you went through all these different experiences. Like you said, learned these different coping mechanisms. Yet then you got to a point of saying, wait, simple, simple, simple. What were what worked for you? What clicked for you that you went, ah, simple? Yeah, that's good. And what works for me has tended to work well for other people I've worked with, which is exciting, right? Because it's uh, it's something that's repeatable, which is amazing. You guys know, I'm, I'm sure, repetition is mother of all skill. Mm-hmm. Um, what worked for me was was first, it's that dichotomy of control. Every single day, multiple times a day, I'd put an alarm on my phone when I was sitting in the hospital. Um, This started, so in 2019, I was in the hospital for 293 days out of the year. In 2018, I was in the hospital for more than that. However, I wasn't quite where I was in 2019. And so I set alarms every two hours, an alarm would pop up my phone reminding me to focus on what is in my control, which at the end of the day is my own attitude and actions, right? I spent so much of my time and energy through trauma and just even happy times in life dwelling on things that I couldn't change. The weather, what you think, what you said, uh, something in the future, something in the past. And it was just such a drainer. So super simple. Constantly caught myself 
had my brain stop for a second and just get back to what is in my control versus what's out of my control. And that's an ego crusher. That's a tough one to swallow. When you actually comprehend and accept that fact, right? The only thing that Joel can control is his own attitude and actions. You can influence and persuade, of course. That was number one thing though, was just zeroing my focus on, all right, in this moment, like what can I control? Anything outside of that, it's a waste of my time and energy. However, obviously that wasn't a common habit for me. So I needed that constant stimulus, that constant reminder. Wow. And so the, the reminders and the repetition, and how long did you do that for? <laughs> you know, I still do it to an extent today, but with that particular thing, it, it was six to eight months. And then eventually it became a natural just behavior, a natural trait where you know, my, my ability to block out the things that I can't do anything about is a hundred times better than it was. So I didn't feel comfortable until about six to eight months later of turning that reminder off. Mm -hmm. And for some people, you know, that doesn't mean it's going to take six to eight months for everyone, right? People are mm -hmm. quicker or slower depending on what it is. But for me, it was about that six month period. And so you, you have this, the, you have these constant reminders and again, you nailed it, right? We talk about repetition as the mother of all skills, right? I think that's from uh, Tony Robbins, I believe. Um, and, okay. So Tony Robbins, shout out to Tony Robbins. If you guys don't know Tony <laughs> Robbins, I don't know. You live under a rock. Um, and that repetition, it, it's, you know, what I, what we, we just wrote a blog and one of the things that, that we wrote about was erase the finish line. Keep, keep going. Too often we create this finish line, right? Imagine if you would have created the finish line for yourself of like, okay, this, this should take like 30 days, like 30 days. We create the finish line. You get to 30 days and you're like, well, dang, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And what do finish lines do? They tell us to stop. That's literally what a finish line is stop yeah and so it sounds like you just erased that finish line and you just ended up going like hey i'm gonna keep going until oh wait a second i don't need that reminder anymore and now it's ingrained you're absolutely right and, and in particular to trauma you know not only focusing on your own attitude and actions but what you had versus what you have now you know, the focus on what was, so what, what were you like, or what was your life like before the trauma and what it is now, a lot of dwelling on the past. Mm. That was what a lot of that focus was centered on as well. Um, you know, with some of these physical elements, my body and daily things I have to do now are permanent. You know, I have some just permanent health things that I will never be able to do normally, like a normal human being. And I, it, that wrecked me for a long time. Finally, in 2019, I slowly started to catch on. Oh, it's a complete waste of my time and energy to be the victim and woe is me and dwell on what I used to be like. And, and that's that's the big one. Whether it's you get a fender bender and your car is dented. For the next two months, I used to just be super stressed and look at my car and get sad because there's a there's a bump <laughs> in the fender. As opposed to just realizing that's just a waste of my time and energy because I can't magically go back and you know, fix that obviously. So in regards to an actual event, that's, that was the big one for me as well. Not just your own attitude mm -hmm. actions, but particularly focusing on what you have now versus what you did have. Mm -hmm. Gosh, that's so, yeah. so beautiful. And you mentioned something in there, the victim mentality. What, what is the victim mentality? 
and, and why is it so detrimental? And, and honestly, Jack, how'd you get out of it? How'd you get out of it? Yeah, I, I feel like you would be a really good wordsmith for the actual definition of that. However, for me, it was, it was a repeatable offense where I felt sorry for myself and I liked the attention of being the guy who always had something wrong. Ever, ever since I was a young little kid, really fluke, crazy injuries. And I was known as the guy who was overcoming something. And I, I essentially got addicted to having that as an excuse, as my mm-hmm. out. Oh, I'm struggling because of this, because I have this going on and no one else has it. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a repeat response to what happened to me, which led to stress, depression, anxiety, and eating disorder. That's now holding their can of worms. Um, and how I got out of it was the constant repetitions of the exact opposite, was complete focus and clarity on there has to be another alternative. Because I went 25 years responding to trauma the same way, and it got me in a deep, dark hole. So, you know, my, part of me realized, oh, there has to be another way. <laughs> it helped as well to see and hear that other people who've experienced trauma, not everyone is stressed and depressed. There are people who thrive from it. And my question was like, okay, how? You know, what worked for them? Why does everyone with a terrible childhood not end up on drugs and in jail, you know? So it was for me, the victim mentality personally was just a repeat offense of responding terribly to what happened to me because I would focus on things outside of my control and dwell on the past. Mm. That is, that is a great way to define it. And, and I know that you've gone through, um, similar training as I have when it comes to, to language work. Uh, yet that's why I wanted to ask right? It's like, what yeah. is the definition at a, at a very granular level? And, and we, we know, I mean, we teach it guys here at proclivity, the, the, the victim mentality can crush us because we're allowing again, the darkness to change our light. And that, that will make you feel unworthy or unable or whatever the other case and scenario is. Um, and so you had this trauma loop of, oh, I'm a victim, I'm going to figure my way out, but then I come back to it because I'm really actually really speaking towards that trauma again and again. If there's other people out there that feel that they're coming back into that same trauma loop, you know, they're like, oh, and I'm back here again, and oh, my life is not so good. And so what would you say to them to help them start breaking that that trauma loop or getting out of that victim mentality and that constant reminder of that trauma. Yeah. So what, what I, I work with some people currently who have a similar, exactly that, that trauma loop. And sometimes, you know, for, for me in particular, it started when I was young and it was, I got attention when I was sick or injured, I got all this love and attention and I got addicted to that. I got addicted to the suffering because it brought this love and attention. That brought the victim mentality, which equaled going through trauma as opposed to just growing from it, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I tell people and what I thought about with myself was I have nothing to lose. So I'm going to try an alternative method to responding to adversity. And if it doesn't work, guess what? I'm back to square one. I'm back to how I've always behaved for the past 25 years. Mm -hmm. So I just, I I felt like I was going to, I had nothing to lose. It was uh, either I was going to hit the jackpot, no pun intended, or just be back where I am. And it's, there are benefits, right? I mean, I was, I, I loved the attention, right? It fed my ego. 
I had an excuse. I had an out to why I wasn't thriving. Um, and, and that's all I would, would tell people. And that's what I do tell people is to just realize like it's worth trying an alternative because what you've been doing, your response to stuff obviously hasn't been working well and it's possible to actually get out of it. You know, there's that quote, I can't remember who said it. Ugh. You know, it, I can't, it was some president or something. I'll totally butcher it. But if you stay in hell long enough, you'll get really comfortable there. Mm. You know, you don't, when you're going to hell, you don't want to set up a tent and make a campfire. You want to keep moving forward. That's right. And that's the exact opposite of what I did for, for 25 years. Finally, I realized there, there has to be an alternative. That old adage, sick and tired of being sick and tired. That, that, that was me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, at the end of the day, my, my mindset was if trying a different approach to life, to adversity, to trauma doesn't work, then I'm back to my normal routine. We're good. We're chilling. I'm the victim. I'm the guy who gets all this attention for going through crazy shit. Mm. Emily, does that resonate with you at all? Yeah. Yeah. So not only have we gone through that ourselves, Joel and I both, yet we see it in so many of our clients and in so many of our clients come to us for nutrition, yet they stay to get through this kind of work because they realize how uh, impactful it is on what their, their goals are in, in nutrition. And so that's something I wanted to ask you is, and this might, this might come later yet, how has tuning into your own trauma, getting out of these loops affected your physical health? Cause you mentioned you've been in chronic illness. Have you seen any differences in your health there? Yeah. You, do you mean differences from the chronic illness and then how I got out of that? Yeah. So in healing, have you, have you noticed a difference in feeling better in one area or not? Um, <clears throat> Cause we know, we know trauma and overall stress can hold us down from healing whether it be healing with the actual trauma itself Absolutely. or, you know, yeah. So that's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where, where do I start? That's a really good question. Um, you know, the, the foundation of all of my physical health ailments was a chronic fight or flight stress response from a young kid. As a kindergartner, I remember having a panic attack about a spelling test and just always being in that chest breathing, super high stress. And, you know, it got to the point and I'll get to your answer, obviously, but it got to the point where the only thing I could control was what I consumed um, because my body was breaking down. I was going through terrible injuries. Uh, I couldn't control my emotions. So I got really strict with what I ate and I developed an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And obviously that has a whole host of physical side effects. Mm-hmm. Got down to 120 pounds as a 6'5", 17 year old kid in high school, which is very light. And, you know, a whole host of things, energy, sleep. Um, vitality, all that stuff was terrible. And then on my 23rd birthday, my kidneys decided to stop working. And I obviously have a feeling part of that, a lot of that had to do with just decades of stress and treating my body um, in a poor way. And then as I developed the kidney disease, the one thing that got me out of it, and I'm sure you'd be fascinated to talk on this more was, you know, going through the, the hospital system here in America, they put me on so many different drugs. There's one point back in 2018, I was taking 26 medications in one day. Yeah, it was wild. 26. Some of them were huge horse pills. I had pick lines and mid lines in my arm constantly, um, which would be, you know, put antibiotics in your system, which in an emergency like sepsis, of course, that's vital. However, just constantly having those, even when I don't have an infection, obviously has its whole host of side effects. 
what was interesting was I started working with someone to improve the things I do outside the hospital, a la what I eat, how I move. And so I focused 100% on a specific diet protocol for my kidney disease. And I take zero meds now. My kidney disease is improving. This is the best my kidneys have been my entire life. Um, And we can go to details if you want. Um, However, yeah, it was interesting. We were focusing so much on what pill or medicine get. And I'm not saying it's bad to take medicine, of course. What we were forgetting and what I forgot and all my doctors at, at the hospitals out here was like, what was I actually putting into my body on a from a food level, which was affecting my physical health, of course, you know, and there's the emotional side, which is just as big. Yep. Yeah. Because we, we have so many clients and congratulations for you for putting that work in and recognizing that that's huge. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was that's, tough. That's... And, and obviously it was just like, you know, I had nothing to lose, right? It was my same mindset, same approach mm-hmm. to trying that as I did to trying to respond to adversity and trauma differently. I figured, right. all right, if I go down this more holistic approach and it doesn't work, well, I'm just back at square one. You know, I'm at least mm-hmm. maintaining some level of life where I'm at. So I really have nothing to lose. It's worth a try. Right. Yeah. And making that connection. A lot of people don't. We get people coming to us saying, oh, yeah, I have this issue. I'm going to be I have this medication. Sometimes they even forget to tell us that when we're asking all these questions. And later down the road, I find out and I'm like, oh you have this autoimmune issue or are you taking uh, PPIs for the last six years? Hmm. And they don't make that connection that that health issue is oftentimes exponentially worse or actually caused by the trauma or the stress that we're putting ourselves through. So I wanted to point that out for people who may not, again, be making that connection. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that answered it. That's, that was a tough question. Yeah, and it comes around, guys. Again, if you're listening to the Proclivity Podcast, if this is the first time you're listening, you're getting a great dose. Yet if you look back at what we talk about there, we talk about mind, heart, body, or mind, heart, stomach, excuse me, and being able to have a clear channel. We tend to be up in our heads way too much, right? We get way up here, and we don't allow our heart to feel or our body to feel. So Listen, if you aren't feeling your body, you aren't getting the signs. Your body is going to say red light, yellow light, green light. Yet if you're way up in your head, you're just going to gas pedal through that that stoplight. And sooner or later, you're going to get freaking T-boned. And maybe that's kidney disease. Maybe that's cancer. Maybe that's heart disease. Maybe that's a heart attack. Yet it is not a matter of if, but only a matter of when. If we are not keeping that channel clear and fluid and trauma can completely block that up. So going into that, a lot of people know what PTSD is. Yet I would like for us to cover it real quick of what PTSD is, and then the opposite of that, what you do with your work, which is post-traumatic growth. So let's tap into that and, and, and go from there. Yeah, first of all, when I, when I hear PTSD for so long, I immediately thought only military. For whatever reason, that was where my headway, my stereotype went. However, anyone can have or has PTSD 
whether you spill coffee in your lap and you're burning yourself or you get in a car crash or it's a physical chronic illness. So just to clarify there, I just want to, you know, make sure it's, it's not obviously just a military thing. It's really, it's post-traumatic, not post-military stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, for whatever reason, that was just the way I went for, for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And so post-traumatic stress disorder is essentially you're responding to the trauma that you have in a way that creates stress and depression. It's that constant loop, that victim mentality method, um, the woe is me, pity party, poopy pants response. And it is, uh, yeah, all the analogies. Oh, yeah. It is, it is it, it, it's almost, I, I'm not sure the exact science on it, but for me, it felt like a natural default. It was just natural. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I learned from people around me. So as a young kid, when, when I had older adults around me have something bad happen to them, res- they responded by getting angry or stressed or mad. And so I just mm-hmm. figured, okay, that's how we do this. And so that led to years of me experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic stress. And it is a slippery, slippery slope because it, beca- it can be an addiction. It can just be a constant, it's a habit, right? Oh yeah. Uh, and, and that's, you know, th- that's on a personal level what I also experienced by working with people with chronic ailments or injuries is they have this consistent response to their trauma that creates the stress. And obviously that sounds like a really shitty way to live mm-hmm. your life. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, from my own personal experience, I, I resonate with that, Jack, because my thought was, yeah, PTSD, that must be like something that's really massively traumatic, right? And I was struggling about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, hadn't seen a therapist yet, yet I was struggling. I wasn't sleeping good, uh, very depressed, um, tons of anxiety. And I went and saw a therapist and I'm telling him everything that's going on in my life and so on and so forth. And we get to the end and he goes, yeah, PTSD. And I'm like, what? What do you mean PTSD? PTSD, I didn't go to, I didn't shoot anybody or nobody shot me and watch anybody die. Yet at the time I was doing, this was the fourth year that I had been doing um, grief therapy. So I was facilitating a youth grief therapy group. And the stories that I heard or, and this was all family members that were dying, were everything from something like just random heart attack to I watched my dad get r- ran over to, uh, you know, I didn't know the gun was loaded. And I wasn't processing that at all. And so my central nervous system was just taking it in, taking it in, taking it in. And then I was wondering, like, why am I thinking about death so much? What the heck is going on? And it took a while, a lot of therapy. Um, to be able to, re- to recognize that. And it wasn't until really about two years ago that I recognized the victim mentality that I was in, that it was still showing up in certain areas of my life. And until I confronted that victim mentality and went, oh, that's not my mom's fault. That's not my girlfriend's fault. It's not my friend's fault, this fault, and everything that's external. Wait a second. Oh, it's my emotions. It's my feelings. It's my thoughts. And that was a massive shift of the boat, right? There was, it was turning, it was turning, but man, the anchor got dropped and there was a quick turnaround. And that was a moment for me where it was like, whoa. Yet some people go their entire life without having that moment. 
And so I'm very curious with the clients that come to you, what are they facing? What are they going through that is getting them to the point of like, man, I, I, I really need to see somebody or I need to talk to somebody. And I heard Jack really helps people through really difficult times. What is the stuff that you usually see? Is it physical, mental, emotional? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. First of all, it's, it's fascinating because 99.9% .9 of it is stuff that happened in the past, right? So they're suffering in the present from something that happened seven years ago, seven months ago, 20 years ago, something that doesn't exist anymore. They're suffering on it right now, which is always fascinating if you really think about that and break that down. The big, most common one that I get that is a bit of a niche I've built out with people is they aren't able to look themselves in the mirror and they brush their teeth at night. They have to shower with the lights off. It's they cannot stand what they see in the mirror. They hate themselves on some level, right? It's either a physical or they look at themselves and they know they're a bullshit artist. They know they're they're not what they could be. And, and a lot of it is is a physical one, right? They see this the, the image, the external in the mirror. However, as you alluded to, it's, it's a lot of internal. But right mm -hmm. on cue, almost all of the first sessions I have with people, it's some level of I don't like what I see in the mirror on more than just the physical, but that usually is the culprit. Um, especially with people I work with who are now physically differently able because of their chronic ailment or illness or injury. And so they're constantly comparing themselves to the old version, right? Mm -hmm. And then they, they develop that victim mentality, not necessarily of like, oh, he did that or she did that. I'm this way because of that event. It's like the victim towards the event. Mm -hmm. They blame the event. And that was like how I did. I blamed what happened to me. That was my out. That was, that was the victim right there. Yeah, so it's the it's the the mirror work. It's a huge one for me. It's it's they cannot stand what they see in the mirror, and, it, and I I know what that's like. I brushed my teeth with lights off for four years in a row, four years in a row, hated mm -hmm. it. Body image issues, the whole nine yards, and and that was obviously just the culprit to many many things. So, and 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 through your work and working with them, what are the what are the victory stories? Yeah, well, I, I just had a, a really good session with a lady. Um, she's a mother of three. She was going to get the stomach surgery. I can't remember the name of it, the gastric bypass, mm -hmm. uh, because she gained a bunch of weight after experiencing a, a, after going through a sexual assault. And so her coping mechanism was just food and weight gain and weight gain. And she gained all of her weight and her unhealthy habits on the fact that she blamed it on what happened to her. Right. And that's mm -hmm. understandable. You can, you know, that makes sense. She was going to get the surgery and she said, screw it. I want to try like one more time to make sustainable change physically and mentally. She's now off all of her psychiatry meds. She's lost weight consistently for four months in a row. And she actually brushed her teeth with lights on now. It's like, wow, that is, that's just the most recent example I just had with her. Um, and it, and it speaks volumes because she was essentially at the end of her rope, right? She's yeah. in her forties. She tried many, many times to experience things. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we, part of it is they have to meet myself or I'm sure your guys' clients have to meet you halfway. Right. Mm -hmm. It's definitely an ego crusher. You got to throw the ego aside, the inner critic, all the above yeah. to really face what is affecting you. And you're exactly right. Some people go their whole life. She went 40 plus years 
without being 100% honest with herself so she can actually improve and, and you know, achieve PTG, post-traumatic growth. And so your clients come in, as a lot of our clients do too, right? You know, one of the things that, that, that I say to a lot of coaches is uh, give, them, give them what they want, leave them with what they need. Because that Absolutely. ego, if you said, because we could, we know as coaches, <laughs> right? Emily, Jack, myself, and if you guys are listening, y'all got trauma. All of you. Everyone. Okay? Now, some of us has, have worked on it, and we have advanced in it, but the majority of, ha- of us haven't. And so being able to ease in to the ego of being able to go like, hey, this is where we work, and, and we're going to... We're, we're, we're going to work a little bit of language. We're going to talk about a few things. And being able to soften that before they come in and get into it. And then there's the point of jump in. Jump in and make the change. Because you guys, like Jack was saying, like, what do you have to lose? You, what? Your, your continued life of suffering? You know? Like, okay. So you come back to the base of where, where you're at. Make the leap because then what do you have to gain? A whole different change. So people are coming in with post-traumatic stress, right? How how are you getting them to post-traumatic growth? Is post-traumatic growth something that naturally can happen? Uh, does it need to be facilitated? How do we really get the most out of post-traumatic growth? Give us an insight of how how you how yeah. you take your clients and how that works. Yeah, first of all, I really like what you said. I always tell my clients we're going to flirt with the ego, and then we're going to we're going to become intimate with it. Mm. So we're going to first flirt with your ego, and then become intimate. They always laugh. It's funny but true, right? <laughs> um, so th- three things, and this is a, a, a broad three. And obviously, we get nitpicky with it, but number one is we really optimize their breath and their physiology, meaning movement and how they breathe. Mm-hmm. And so it's amazing. I went 23 or 24 years personally with really never taking a conscious breath, never crossed my mind, didn't think twice about how I was breathing. Um, and then movement, you know, it's really easy to be, become a couch potato and the motivation to drive to get up and move and get those positive endorphins going when you're experiencing post-traumatic stress. So number one is just the baseline of breathing and movement and not necessarily some super special breath work, just the basicness of like awareness of your breath, getting it out of your chest, low and slow into your gut. You know, and one of the ways I do that really well with people is we always start a session with low and slow breathing. We end the session with low and slow breathing. And that's one of the first things I have them work on is become a pro at breathing by just becoming aware of it and catching themselves throughout their day. So they use tons of RAS reminders particular activating system reminders, or as in my case, the phone reminders to stop every three or four hours during the day, take two minutes, breathe low and slow and boom, they're off and running. And so just from a baseline breath and movement, you know, and movement, Mm. you can go down a hundred alleys with that, you know, Um, just some form of movement though. Number two was what we've talked about was focusing on what is in your control versus what, what is outside of your control. And that's a tough one, obviously, mm-hmm. especially if um, if the ego is there, if the inner critic is in the way. That one as well, it takes tons of repetition, right? Especially if it's decades of you focusing on things outside of your control. It's a tough one. And number three is 
which is the hardest part for most of the clients I work with, which is why we get to it last but not least, is asking yourself and answering a few specific questions is how can I actually grow from this, right? As opposed to just go through it. And then the hard one, how can this, how could this have been worse? And that can be a slippery slope because sometimes that goes into the chronic comparison where you're like, oh, it's not as bad as that person. So why should I be suffering? But those questions in any version of, depending on the person, is something that stay in tune and reflect on where we're at, right? So it's breath and physiology. So breath and movement, focus to keep it really simple. And then being 100% transparent with yourself by answering a few specific questions along the way. And those questions can change, right? As you're on your process and journey mm-hmm. to that growth. In the moment, one that works really well for me, and this is merely because I've had a near-death experience is, did I die? No? Okay, we're chilling. It's literally, that's where my brain goes every time. I got, I was in a drive-thru and an old lady rear-ended me in a drive-thru, which is hilarious because we're all stopped, right? Yeah, she yeah. just must have slipped. <laughs> so was, this was like a year ago. And she was so shocked I wasn't mad. And, and I said... You know, and that's where my brain goes. And, you know, did I die? No. Okay. It's, if it's not death, I can handle it. Right. And, and part of what I told her as well, which is, you know, I'm obviously preaching the choir here. If me getting upset can magically reverse time and make you not hit me, I would do that all day. <laughs> obviously, that can't. And that's where that focus comes in. Right. That's where number two comes in. And then the first one comes in because if you're breathing low and slow, it's really hard to be super upset and mad and fuming and cussing at someone. Whenever I get angry, upset, it's all trapped in my chest. Mm. Mm-hmm. Emily, does that sound familiar? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Joel, what happened to you this morning? Yes. Oh, did you get a, did you get a little fender bender? <laughs> I, I didn't, but this is what happened. Oh, okay. This is what happened. I'm driving, and I'm pulling into the gas station, and I don't know what I did with my right hand. I don't know if I was reaching for something or what. But I had a coffee cup, just regular old coffee cup. And it was in my center council because it, it fits just fine. But I swung my hand back towards me and just hit that coffee cup right into, like, underneath me, right? So into my seat, like, total butt cheek, wet with coffee, <laughs> you know. And I lift my butt up, and I'm in, like, this plank, right, as I'm driving in and just start laughing hilariously. Right. Because we say, listen, if you if you laugh at the devil, he'll flee. And so my first reaction was just dying, laughing like this is this is hilarious. Like my coffee is now completely on my butt. Right. All in my seat. And when we have pattern breaks to go, man, at least I have coffee to be able to spill in the car that I own with the gas that I'm about to get. Oh, man, that just changed perception. And though when you get good at sharpening those edges, you know, the, the, the two things I say that I need in this life is one, my breath, and the second is my words, right? Or even just my thoughts, even if I can't even speak. Take my arms, take my legs, take my house, take everything, yet I have my breath and I have my words and my thoughts. I'm in full control. And when we start detaching from all these other things, 
right? These outcomes instead of just being part of the process, right? Well, actually, there is no finish line. Actually, I'll, I'll see where it comes when it comes. Then I can stay present with my breath, present with my thought. And then guess what? As I say to Emily every day, today is the best day I've ever lived because it's the day that I get right now to express love, gratitude, honor, respect to myself and to those around me and to grab hold of that and say, I have that at all times. I am now the richest man that anyone knows. And that has helped me get out of my post-traumatic stress and move into this growth space. Yeah, you know, it works for, that, that's really good, by the way. And, and you're right, that pet interruption is huge. For me, one of my favorite movies is Live Free, Die Hard. And so going into every surgery or after I do a little spill, um, I remember I hit my shin on a, on a barbell last week and I got this Ooh. gigantic bruise. It's, for me, it's Yippee-ki-yay. So it's, it's really the line is yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's go. And, and that's that breakup where normally in my past would be F this, F that, stress. Yeah. Why did this happen to me, right? Yeah. Um, and so you're exactly right. And, and you are exactly right. That's really, that's an interesting story. That's cool. I appreciate you sharing. Yeah, yeah. Emily, Emily set me up on that one. That was, uh, <laughs> it, 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 you know, life is so good. Life is so freaking good uh, when you get that breath down, when you get those those repeatable, hey, pause for a moment, right? We always tell our clients, go for a walk. Guys, I, I love your, hey, pause, two minutes of breath, a reminder that pops mm -hmm. up. That's beautiful. We're, we're definitely taking that. Um, we tell people, like, go on a walk, no phone, no dogs, no kids, no nothing, and just walk for 45 minutes, 20 minutes, doesn't matter. You'll find your breath is going to start settling. Close your lips, breathe through your nose, and just walk. There is no intention, right, other than walking. And that creates space. And when we create space, we create space to heal, whether it's that we're intentionally trying to heal or unintentionally trying to heal. That central nervous system will go, oh, cool, you're giving me time and space to heal? Okay, I'll start healing that trauma, right? Because before, I was diverting all of our energy away from that trauma because you weren't giving me space. We weren't eating the right foods. Our workout wasn't the right way. We were stressed and in our head too often. I had no space to be able to heal that trauma. But now that you give me space, I'll heal it and you won't even know about it. And all of a sudden, you'll just start feeling better, right? So um, such good stuff, Jack. This is, we could keep going on for a very long time, which just means, guys, we're going to bring Jack back. That's just what's going to, that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, yet, yet until that time, Jack, how do people get a hold of you? Particularly those specifically who are, who are saying, Hey, I, I struggle with some body dysmorphia. Um, I, I, I want to be able to look myself in the mirror and go, I love you. And I love this body that I have. How can they get a hold of you? How can, how can they reach out and get help? Yeah, your body dysmorphia, so body image and chronic illness. Those are tend to be the most people that I work with currently and have had the most success. To reach out on Instagram, I am Jack Cernet. Uh, my website is currently under, under construction. It's getting revamped. Uh, it is jackcernet.com, and that should be up and running here in a couple of weeks. Um, and then if you're in Kansas City, 
you can uh, reach out and I'll, I'll gladly meet. Obviously, Zoom and this virtual stuff is amazing. But the biggest, easiest spot is either Instagram or through my website, which would be live again in a couple of weeks. Love it, man. True, true pro. It's incredible having you on. Coach Emily, anything else? Yeah, no, we appreciate you taking the time and loved having you here. Can't wait for part two. Yeah, thank you guys. I I'm, I agree. I could keep going forever. This is good stuff. Really good stuff. <laughs> we love this stuff, man. We love this stuff Our because <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's the big changer. It gives us the space for us at Proclivity to allow those nutritional habits to stick and stay. That's why mm -hmm. we can go like, oh, no, these are really, truly lifelong habits because we're cleaning out the garbage first so that we can get to the foundation and drive these habits home. If not, they just sit on the surface and they shift away. And so we really appreciate having guests like you who come on and share that because the more that people hear, right, the more they start creating awareness and the more awareness that they can have, the better change that they can create because the mm -hmm. ego is starting to get out of the way. So Jack, thank you so much, man. Thank you so, so much. You guys, if you haven't yet, make sure to like and subscribe and you can even toss in a review. That would be great. Proclivity Podcast, share it with your friends, share it with your family. We're going to be coming back next week, episode 62. Until then, you guys take care, live happy, love life.